Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, welcome to The Bailey Hancock Show. Today we have somebody that is going to make you a lot of money. I mean, no (laughs) pressure, but (laughs) she is a salary negotiation I guess expert will call you. She has a salary negotiation course called Be Brave, Get Paid. And she is also the host of The Big Leap Show. So please welcome Kathleen Hart. Kathleen, welcome to the party. Yeah, thanks for having me at this party. This is my favorite kind of party hanging out with you. Oh, me too. (laughs) Kathleen and I actually met. We were both speakers at a Servoir Collab Lean In event. Gosh, I don't know, this summer, this past summer. Um, and as soon as she got on stage, I was like, oh, my people, she's my people. <laughs> I just kind of knew like we, you know, she stood on a chair and was like yelling at people and cussing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's my woman right there. <laughs> I'm so glad that resonates with you. <laughs> oh, it absolutely did. Maybe it turned some people off, but I'm of the mindset of like, yeah, just lean fully into yeah. whoever the fuck you are and, you know, be your weirdest self because you'll attract your fellow weirdos. Yes, yes. Hence, here we are. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, and I was on Kathleen's podcast, um, The Big Leap Show, yeah. and now she's here. So it was a lovely little collaboration right off the start. Absolutely. I'm so excited. I can't Yay. wait to begin. Okay, so first and foremost, I ask everybody, what did little Kathleen want to be when she grew up? Oh, little Kathleen always wanted to be a teacher. Um, oh. And I don't know if that was just, you know, it's whatever's in front of you is the thing that you most commonly want Who to do. Who is a teacher? Um, just all my teachers. I was like, oh, that's nice. They're nice <laughs> ladies. You teach people. You play games. Um, so I always like teaching. I think I've always been uh, like the bossy older sister, even though I'm in the middle. Um, I would even like boss my older sister, like this is the way we need to do things. Um, so always enjoyed that role. And so I always kind of thought I would be a teacher. But again, who knows? Like if I had grown up in the age that we did now where I'm seeing uh, like Reese Witherspoon directing things, I probably would have been more in that boat. Um, Because there were things that, yeah, there's things that I did want to do. I remember even like wanting to be Dick Wolf of uh, Law and Order SVU. My mom (laughs) was like, "But you're not an old white guy," and she didn't mean it in the in a mean way. That was just like kind of what was on her forefront. And so I was like, "Yeah, you're right. I'm not an old white guy, so I probably won't become like a Dick Wolf of TV." It's so that's such an important point about representation of you know every type of race and gender and cultural background. It's so important to have not even role models, just see people that look like you doing things that you might be interested in. You're right. I wonder if, you know, in 20 years from now, when people get asked, what did you want to be when you grew up? If the answers will be so different than our like five answers, everybody (laughs) has the same basic answers, teacher, actor, vet, um, firefighter, like there's, <laughs> there's basically five roles that yeah. we all knew about. Astronaut is one. Yeah. And we all just cycled through those. Whereas kids nowadays see people doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever there was like a doll for, that's probably what we knew. <laughs> that's a very good point. Whatever Barbie was up to in her career at yeah. the moment. <laughs> yeah. So now okay. we have computer science. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. Um, okay. So did you, at what point did you drop the teacher thing? Or actually, I guess you kind of didn't in a way. I what did you I end up kept going it. to school for? Yeah. You know, when I went to college, I wanted to actually become an urban designer or an architect. And uh, my mentality was I grew up in a neighborhood where it wasn't the happiest and there was a lot of poverty. 
Um, and I always thought to myself, if I can make a happy city, then you can create happy people. Mm. And so that's what I wanted to go to school for. But actually money is one of the things that limited me. Um, the colleges I was accepted into, I didn't get enough scholarship money for. Um, so I remember my parents were just like, unfortunately, like this isn't going to work for us. You have to pick one of the other schools. Um, and the other schools all didn't have the programs I wanted for, wanted to go in for. So once I got to college, I was like, oh shoot, what am I going to do? Um, and I kind of thought, oh, I want to do business. Cause then my next line of thinking is, you know, if I understand how business works, I can again, like create happy communities, which would create happy people. Um, and an interesting thing, if we kind of like circle back to representation was in my, one of my first econ classes, it was almost all men. There was only like one or two other girls. And I felt so, it was the first time in my life I ever felt stupid because all up until then, you know, I was crushing it in math, um, would always get A's in every single one of my classes. And this was the first time I felt stupid with all the people. Like they instantly got all the concepts. They were cruising through the homework and I was just like, what is going on? I feel so dumb. So I thought business isn't for me. Econ's not for me. Um, and so I thought, what else am I interested in? And I actually went into international development um, because I thought, well, you know, around the world, I want to help create happy communities and happy people. Um, so I took that lens through it. And so it's been interesting to see how I've come back to some of the things like being a teacher or going into math or understanding money, which were all things that I thought I couldn't do or wasn't smart enough to be able to do um, at, a, at some point in my life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's always that class that we take, whether it's early on or in college or later where you're like, oh, maybe I'm not good at this. And it yeah. kind of changes your whole perspective on yourself. And unless you have somebody, you know, next to you, whether it's a teacher or a mentor mm -hmm. or a parent being like, no, it's fine. This is just one version of math, or this is just one version of this, you know, it can derail the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's pretty much what happened, which is fine. That's part of the journey, you know, yeah. where you think you're not good enough for something and then you come back and you're like, I'm good enough. I can do it. Yeah. It's like your own <laughs> heroine's journey. If yeah. you will, of like, oh, it's not for me. And then you go and you realize you've overcome so much and then you come back to it and you persevere and have the yeah. redemption story, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yes, so, I'm sure. What the hell is international development? Dude, I don't know. I mean, like when I graduated, people would still ask me what the hell is international development. I'm like, I don't know. And for anyone who was like, you know, coming out after me, who was studying that, I was like, don't study it. It doesn't mean anything. Um, it did, however, help me actually. It, so it means that you study a region and you understand like how they're developing as a country, as a nation, whatever, understanding um, the economics that was involved, um, their history, like the people and culture to understand like how for that country, what's the best way to develop it. Um, so each region is, is kind of different. So it did help me. And then after I, cause I went into nonprofit after college, um, but I had this whole kind of coming to Jesus moment of like, I need to earn more. I want to explore different things that are important to me. And so I always still wanted to be an architect. And so I said, you know what? this is the time to do it. I'm going to go and pursue architecture. And so I got a job in the international development department of an architecture company. So it kind of oh. did help me at the end of the day. Yeah. So it opened a door and it, it got you, you know, that's something I harp on a lot when people are like, Oh, I'm, you know, follow my passion, follow my passion. I'm like, or do the thing you're good at, or in your case, you have training in at least somewhat a yeah. degree in do that thing in an industry that supports the thing you're passionate yeah. about. So for you, that was architecture and you were able to open, you know, have a, a door open for you in a field that you're passionate about using this yeah. key that you got, you know, in school. So 
how long did you end up staying there? And what was your, like, what was your job like? Yeah. So I didn't, I was in the international department for like a few months. I also quickly realized, oh my God, I never want to become an architect and I don't want to go back to school for this, which is great. I think it's important. That's excellent. Yeah. I just saved myself years. Um, but I, it began like working with the software department where I would say like, oh, actually guys, like this part of the website doesn't make sense. This leads to this, which doesn't make sense. Um, just like my type a Virgo brain going crazy. of just like, oh my God, these things are out of order. Let me help you. Um, I can't relate to that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so basically like they were like, you're actually really good at this. Do you want to come over? So then I transitioned, um, and was like shopping for different, um, careers and like interviewing at different places. But I was like, really like the company. They gave me a position I was kind of interested in, um, where I was basically a product manager and would oversee just like how we're going to make the apps, what's interesting for our users. Um, so I kind of got into like the techie world, which was an interesting leap. You were almost kind of tipping a toe too in user experience design to some extent too, which goes back to, you know, urban design line. So you never really strayed very far. You just found new doorways to walk through. Yeah, totally. The same passions are there, designing things, making things more efficient, making people happier. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what happened next? Well, so the whole thing started because I was working in nonprofit and that was like kind of where my, you know, my heart was at, at the end of the day, I just want to help people be happier. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, nonprofit is the way to do that after I graduated. And the whole spark of, I need to do something bigger than this and more than this was when I started seeing friends of mine travel and they would Mm -hmm. like invite me to come with them. Um, and just like, Oh, we're going to Bali, We're going to Thailand. We're going to Argentina. Like, do you want to come? And I would always have to say no, you know, and that feeling that I had when I had to say no to, you know, pursuing architecture when I was graduating from high school because I didn't have enough money. Mm -hmm. And so that really started to get to me after a while, you know, in the beginning, it's like, you know what, I'm doing this for the kids. I love the kids. And you know, this is more important than me and traveling. But after a while of people doing these things that you're like, Oh my God, this is what I want to be doing. This is like the dream. It really started to get to me. And so I was driving every day in this LA traffic, um, where I was going zero miles an hour. And literally my office was inside of a graveyard that had no windows. Wait, actually inside of a graveyard? Actually inside of a graveyard, we had to like press a button to open up a chain fence to drive into a parking lot that was inside of a graveyard. And the building was inside the graveyard. It was, it was awful. So every day I literally (laughs) felt like I was driving to my death. Oh my literally God. <laughs> there's zero symbolism there. It's just all right on the table. Oh <laughs> it's literal God. driving to death every day. It was so bad. And like, literally you pull up and you're parking and you're looking at gravestones, just like a sea of gravestones. So after a while, I just had one of these like, what the fuck moments? Like I got to get out of here. And, um, it was after I had had another friend invite me to go traveling with them. And I'd done the calculations based off of my job and realized it was going to take me eight years to even be able to afford the plane ticket and a few months off. Oh my God. I was like, I cannot wait eight years and keep doing this for eight years. And that's when I was basically like, I got to get in control. I got to start making a change and I got to see what else is out there. I can stay a nonprofit. And I kind of looked into the opportunity there and like what the, the salary would be for my skills. It's like, you know what? Like I'm going to have to circle back to nonprofit. Like I'm going to have to volunteer, come back to it in some way, but like this can't be my job right now. And so that's what opened up to the door to architecture, which then opened up the door to software design. But my goal was always, I want to save up enough money so that I can quit my job and travel. And in that process, part, a big, big, big part of it that I didn't realize was going to be the pivotal role was learning how to negotiate my salary. 
Like that enabled me every time I made a switch and even within those companies to bump up my salary again and again. And within like a few years, I was able to save over $16,000 and quit my job and travel. Um, and I haven't really looked back since like I started my first business and then began incorporating, you know, the negotiation skills to be able to grow those businesses. Um, and you know, year after year, I mean, we can dive into each year, but, um, that was kind of the next leap after the architecture company was like, I saved up enough money. I literally hit that 16,000 benchmark. And I was like, sorry guys, like I'm out. It's been great knowing you. Gotta like, go. Gotta go. I got more things that I have to do in life and you know, didn't burn great. any bridges, like still friends with many of the people. They said like, you have a job if you ever want it back here. So, you know, I just knew what was important to me, made it happen. And then I was out. And how old were you at this point? I was 23, 24. That's pretty damn yeah. good for 23, yeah. 24. Usually it takes yeah. people till, you know, the official quarter life crisis age of 25. <laughs> <laughs> really I had that quarter life crisis in the graveyard. I was like, I cannot keep it. I mean, I feel like you were, you just got the fast tracked version because you were literally <laughs> driving to a fucking cemetery. <laughs> like that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. I've had bad jobs. Like I've had bad offices with no windows, but yeah you win the bad job award. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I don't know how they thought that this would be a good office building for a nonprofit. We're like children. What was, yeah. What was the nonprofit? Like what was the overall scope of it? Oh, it was Volunteers of America. So it was just one of their offices. <laughs> oh yeah. my God. Which is great. Love Volunteers of America, but like yeah. in particular was probably not a good choice. Oh boy. Wow. <laughs> okay. So it sounds to me like basically the reoccurring theme until this point was opportunity and not wanting to miss it due to lack of having the funds. Yeah. 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 I had a huge thing with money. Like I, I didn't want it for years. I was like, I don't need money to be happy. And then I started realizing like, oh my God, money actually gives you the opportunity to be happy. Like more I mean, yeah. We obviously your business centers around women for a reason, but I think women in particular have so many hangups about money, especially if you grew up without it, because yeah. then it's almost like you've convinced yourself that money is for bad people. Or yeah. if you Pretty get money, people. yeah, you're going to be greedy or you're going to be bad and you don't care about people yeah. when in reality, I mean, I've had this moment with myself in the last two years since going out on my own, that money is power. Yes. Money, money is how really things get done in this country. If we're not seeing that, then I don't know what. Um, And to your point, money is opportunity. It's opportunity to like have a top shelf life experience or (laughs) at least be able to do some of the things that you want to do that I think will really enrich your life. Yeah, totally. I think that money like initially equals that freedom to be able to say yes and to be able to say no. And then beyond that, like once you've had that and you've reached that level, it's like you're at the next level of like Maslow's hierarchy Mm -hmm. and it then becomes power. It's power to be able to create change for yourself and for your communities, be able to invest in women businesses, be able to, you know, do create the life that you want and help others to create their life as well. Yeah. I mean, I think there's no surprise that when asked the book that they're reading, it's Jen Sincero, you know, (laughs) I'm a badass of money. I'm a badass of making money. Like that's what I feel like for the last year, that's what every woman I know has been reading or listening to and, and just pouring over. And maybe it's just that permission that Mm -hmm. we need to think like, wait, okay, the way I've been thinking about this is wrong. Yes, you can be a good person and give back in your community and do good yeah. for the world and make people happy, which was your goal. But you can also go on badass trips around the world because <laughs> what else is the point? Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm here in LA now, just visiting. I'll be in Vegas like in two weeks. Then I think I'm coming back to LA. Then where else am I going? Like, it, I can, 
I can do the things that and I you're wanted, not which stressing was about I'm not it. Stressed. I'm not stressed about right. it. Right. I think yes. that's the whole goal. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So you're 24. You go <laughs> off on this, you know, world tour. Yeah. What happens next? How long were you traveling? At what yeah. point were you starting to think about what you're going to do next when you run out of that 16K? <laughs> I, yes. So I benchmark for myself. I, I will allow myself to spend $10,000 while I'm traveling. 6000 when I get back so I can go back and, you know, have enough time and cushion to be able to find a job. Um, so while I'm traveling, like I'm budgeting out, I could go easily six months, maybe a year, um, started in Bali. Um, and yeah, then that'll Bali. get you far in Bali. It will get you far in Bali. So I went to Bali, then I went to Thailand, um, started doing more meditation, um, did India. Then I, that's when I got my certification for yoga teacher training, um, got even deeper in meditation. Then I went to Nepal and that's when I did my eat, pray, love, you know, 10 day silent retreat, mm. um, which was life changing. And at that moment, once we, cause I was traveling with my partner, who's now my fiance, maybe who knows my, my husband, by the time this airs, <laughs> um, we kind of came out of that meditation, like you ready to go home. Like we kind of were, had traveled enough. Like it'd been five ish months at that point. We were doing all the things like, Oh, we got scuba certified. Like we, we ate all the things we wanted to. We saw all the things we wanted to. We did the crazy experiences that we wanted to. And the whole time I was starting to blog of just like, I want to help more people to be able to have these experiences, save up their money, learn how to negotiate, learn how to switch careers, um, be able to travel. And then at that point I was like, you know, what else can I do? So once I was at the end of our silent retreat where you're literally just sitting with yourself for 10 days with nothing else. Like you can't write, you can't read. Wait, you, you can't, can't write? You can't write. Oh, you can't Lord. Read, you can't exercise. You can't talk. So you're literally just hanging out with you. You're hanging out with you. And like literally, I think we're up at 5 a.m. every morning meditating until like 10 p.m. is like when we're going to sleep. And it's just like, I, I don't even know how many hours within there. It was at least 10 hours that you're meditating. I think it was like 12 hours that you're meditating. So you have a two hour meditation, then you have breakfast, then you have like a three hour meditation, then you have lunch and then you have a two hour meditation, then a break. And then, you what know what I mean? What is that even like? Like, uh, I, I can't, first of all, I don't think I've ever gone more than a day without speaking. Yes. Um, and that's saying a lot because I'm pretty <laughs> sure when I'm home, I'm at least talking to my cat out loud. Yeah. And then not like, because for me, meditation is so based around the journaling process after, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. it's just a means to get to the good stuff so that I can journal it. Yeah. How, what is that whole pro? And this was 10 days or five days? 10 days. Holy so we shit. We started with a one day one and then we did a three day one in Thailand. And then we, every day for yoga teacher training, we had to meditate for two hours, like one in the morning and one at night. And then after that, then we were like, okay, we feel ready. But I was still scared shitless. I was like, I'm not gonna be able to make it. Like I have to talk to somebody within those 10 days. So up until the hour, I wasn't, I wasn't anywhere to do it. I was like, I'm out. I can't do this. Um, but yeah, like sitting there, it's really trippy. Cause like you're never with yourself for that long. Mm. And what ends up happening is like by day six, I was like, I'm having the same thoughts mm. over and over. I have the same worries over and over. So you get to a place where like mentally, you know, it doesn't serve you to have those same thoughts, but like physically I got to a place of like, I have to have new thoughts. Like we need to go beyond this. So then you start kind of like going deeper in yourself and you start having, like I had like weird trippy things come up for me and like weird memories I'd never done. Mm. And then you get to this place where you're just like, shit, like, I'm ready to conquer the world. Like, let's go out and like do things. Like I don't have these thoughts that are kind of bogging me down. Like I have just such crazy clarity. So that's the point we got to where we were like, what are we doing traveling? Like 
let's go home. Let's start creating our next thing. We got work to do. Exactly. Um, So that's where I was at by the end. I was just ready to go home. Um, Because I didn't know wherever you are, you are. So like whether I'm in, whether we were in Nepal, like I'm still there with my mind. And so like all the things I want to do, it doesn't matter where I'm at. So I was like, I'm ready to be home. I'm ready to have Wi-Fi. Like I'm ready to like see my family again. Yeah. Use a proper toilet again. Use a proper toilet. And oh my gosh, even like have a shower that wasn't ice cold. Like we had ice cold. We were like doing out a bucket in Nepal and I was like, I'm ready for a hot shower. So did you have any inkling of what you were going to do with this clarity and what was going to be next? It was in my mind. I was like, I'm going full force, Bailey. I'm like, I'm going to be the like negotiation and career and, you know, women encouragement and life coach and all of these things. So that's what I wanted to do um, before the fear started kicking in. Oh, when did that happen? How long did that take post arrival home? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because like the whole time I was traveling, I was like creating my brand. um, And I launched it when I was in India. Like I sent it out to my friends. I remember it was the biggest deal for me even to proclaim that this is what I was doing and put myself out there and, you know, send it out to my like 20 friends was like, took me days to be able to do. Cause I was like, Oh my God, what are they going to think of me? They're going to think I'm an idiot. Like who am I to do all of these things? So it set in pretty quickly. Um, but after the meditation, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I got home and then you're like, Oh fuck, what am I doing? Like, I'd rather be traveling. Like, why did I come back home? What am I going to do? Like, am I going to make it? I'm going to need to get a job. I'm for sure going to need to get a job. Yeah. Yeah. How soon after you got home, did you have, did you ever have to dip in, you know, before getting, did you ever get a day job again? What was that? Well, so for me, the thing that we had also started while we were traveling is we started our own business, helping companies market. So I had my skills as kind of, you know, like website design, user experience. My partner had experience as just like an engineer. So being able to do more of the tricky things. And for all the companies that we met while we traveled, we were like, yo, you're a tight company, but like nobody knows about you. Your website is shit. Like you have no videos, you have no photos. So while we were traveling as a means to continue traveling and not do so much into our savings, we began like taking on clients. Hmm. So that's actually what kept me afloat for many years. And like, it's still like, you know, working in the background to help us is that we have clients that we help their business grow. Um, so it was always something that it was almost like a testing ground for my work of like, I can test to see what works for them in a safe way um, and help them grow their businesses, which gave me the runway to be able to do it slow and steady. And I really haven't had to dip into my savings. Um, Cause I've always had that to support me. That's so important to having like a steady paycheck, even if it's an entrepreneurial pursuit that yeah. allows you to not have to force through yeah. the thing that you're starting to grow. Cause I don't know if it's this way for you, but for me, an idea doesn't just show up fully formed. Like mm. it starts to tap me on the shoulder. I ignore it. It taps harder. I ignore it. This goes on for about 20 more times. Multiple people start to ask me if I do this. I get mad. Of course I don't like there's a yeah. whole damn process. That's about yeah. six months to a year before the thing is ready. And yeah. You know, I've, I've been lucky in that every time this has happened, there's been something already providing me with income. So I've been able to let the idea sort of come to be on its own terms and then just be supportive along the way. What about for you? So, I mean, when did, you know, be brave, get paid the course first emerge and did you do other individual coaching before you launched the course? Yeah. So this is the whole whisper and like for you, for it to last six to months to a year is like super quick. I feel like my whispers have been hanging out for like seven years. Um, and I'm just like, no, 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 no. So I had written, and it's so funny to see my first journals where I'm like, I want to do financial empowerment 
salary negotiation, career, maybe business someday, like all these things are like in the very first notebook on the very right. first page. And then it's just like, what? No, you can't do any of that. So once I came back and started, you know, doing my coaching, my quote unquote coaching, um, it was really like, I don't know enough about some of these things. Like, I don't know enough about salary negotiation to be, you even said it, like, I'll call you an expert. It's like, oh no, like I could never be an expert in that. I don't know enough about money to be an expert in that. So it was like, what are the smallest things I did? Mm -hmm. So it was just like, oh, how to, you know, switch your career. And so I began coaching on those smaller things that honestly mm -hmm. are just the things I don't have as much of an emotional investment in where it's like, if I fail or it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal. But right. for the things that are meaningful for you, that's what is scarier mm -hmm. for me at least. You know, it's like, I'm dancing around this because I don't know enough yet. Um, so it started with just the blogging, which then became like, oh, I don't know enough about that. So maybe, um, I'll like take away those topics and I'm taking away the topics I'm doing some coaching and it's like, Oh, I don't know about the coaching. Do I need to go get a certificate? And it's like, Oh, financially, like a lot of these certificates are 10,000. So, Oh, do I really need a certificate? And then it's like, Oh, well maybe, you know, what, scratch all of that. I'm just going to sell products that are empowering. So I set up a shop. Um, so starting to test that. And yeah, maybe I can grow that. Then it's, Oh, I don't want to be a shop girl. And oh, am I always going to be, you know what I mean? So it's like dancing around that. And then it's coming back to, Oh, well now that I've had my business going where I do the, the website design and marketing, people are asking me, how do I start a business? So it's like, Oh, well, I'll teach them a little bit. I know about how to start your first business. And then that morphs into like, I want to hear more conversations. So that's where it morphs into the podcast. So it's like constantly morphing. And it's like, like, what's my business? It's more of what's your need. And then it's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I could, I could help you with that. And really just testing it, not going full blown into one of these things. So but I really, how long did that process happen? I feel like four years or three, because four years. Everybody says to like, oh, well, you can't be everything to everybody. And the worst thing you can do is offer too many things, which I definitely did. Yeah. I'd say the first year and a half or so. Yeah. And then, you know, it's been very recently that I've decided to really hone in on my collaboration business and focus on that. But so much of it was, well, what do you not know that you trust me enough to yeah. teach you about? And I'm going to test it and I'm yeah. going to see if I can help you. Test and learn and test and learn and iterate exactly. and refine and get closer and closer. And then you start to really know what the people around you who you want to serve yeah. actually need from you and what yeah. you feel really confident sharing with them. Exactly. I mean, I think for some people, it's very cut, cut and clear, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I like this. So then I do this, right? You know, for you and me, like that was one thing that we connected on immediately. We have so many interests. There's so many ways we could help people. It's just like, well, I don't know. I know I want to help people. So you just have to kind of like keep throwing things. So it honestly was like three years, three, four years that I was just like trying different things and allowing the process to be so messy. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, there's a lot of like times where you're just like, what am I doing? I don't have clarity. I don't have a direction. I'm helping people. Am I really helping people? Am I helping people as much as I could be helping people? So like really being hard on myself, really trying to navigate those waters. And it really wasn't until um, the election where I was like, oh, I need to do something more than just the podcast. For me, it was just like, I need, like, I've been doing the podcast. I've been teaching salary negotiation at colleges and at women organizations. I've been doing some career coaching. I've been doing some money coaching, but I, I came to a point where I was just like, realized, oh, money equals power. We need more women in power. What can Same. I do? So I was just like, okay, the podcast, is this the best vehicle to help push women, equality, 
the best life that, you know, every American live and a world citizen can live. Like the podcast is kind of doing it, but not really. Cause the most people would come to me from the podcast would say, um, because the name was the big leap show, they were like, cat, how do I quit my job and start a business? And I was like, that's great. But I don't think everyone should just straight up quit their job and start a business. I also do not think that. So <laughs> I was very like, dangerous oh, advice. Very dangerous. <laughs> Maybe you can. And like, that's totally fine. Like I did that in a way. But sure. do you have the financial runway? Do you have the risk tolerance, et cetera? Like, are you okay if you have to get a side job? Can you start another business? So that was like, kind of was like giving me a little bit of the heebies. I was like, mm, this kind of works, but I don't want to make this my mission. Career coaching, I was like, this is kind of good, but I'm not feeling as lit up by it. And the salary negotiation piece was something I've been doing for like two years, just on the side. And it was so powerful. Like the people that would come through and send me emails afterwards saying, Kat, I got $20,000 more. I got $30,000 more. I was like, this is life-changing. That not is, only that is our, life-changing. It's life-changing. Yeah. Like I know the difference that $20,000 can make. Like that's what will enable you to, you know, be able to take that trip you want, be able to buy that coffee want, be able to take your family out to dinner, be able to do work that you want to, because you're not feeling pressured. Well, not um, only that, it's, it's, it becomes your new, your new baseline, yeah. right? So like 20 K now equals so much more down the road because yeah. you're starting at a higher base. Exactly. And in terms of what you can save, what you can invest, it's just like exponential. So I was like, okay, out of all the things that I do, that was the point where I was like, I need to decide on one thing that I really love doing that lights me up. That's actually making the big difference in the world that I want to see. So at that point, that's when I started, you know, just like saying no, like I put the podcast on hold. I put any coaching on hold. It was like, I need to go all in with the salary negotiation teaching. And that was in 2000, what, 2017, like of October-ish, November, when wow. I made that decision. Yeah. Been and around I mean, a year. A we, year as the time of this recording. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, wait, was it year 2000? Yeah, 2017. That was um, only a year. Yeah. So I mean, there's been a lot of like <laughs> jumps. Yeah, like a lot of crazy resistance and we can even go into that. But like, yeah, it's been newer that I've been doing it. And it's so funny to look at the many years leading up to that where I was just like, floundering, feeling like, what am I doing? But it was all necessary to be able to get to this point. Um, well, and I think necessary. every, I know, isn't it funny? We can look back on our career paths, our lives and be like, oh yes, of course, this all makes sense. It all had to happen. Yet we can't see the forest for the trees when we're in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one of the favorite, one of my favorite, like most mind blowing things that I read, I'm sure it was a meme, but it was like, yeah. <laughs> we assume that if, if you go back in time and change one thing that it'll, you know, disrupt the course of the future forever. But we don't imagine one thing doing one thing could have the same amount of results. If we yeah. do it now, like yeah. if we changed one thing about our careers or our lives or our friendships or our relationships, that of course will have a ripple effect for the rest mm-hmm. of our lives, but we don't put that much weight on it when we're in the moment. <laughs> just You're just so thinking about the past. That's what yeah. <laughs> yeah. The present. You, is meditation still a really big part of your day and your process? It still is, but I think I do more like, um, I have to catch myself of like, you know, spirals happen. And you're like, oh, this is when I need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just came back from an amazing retreat. And so much of like my clarity came through meditation. Mm-hmm. So there's seasons where you're like, oh, I'm fine. And then you realize like, uh-oh, we're starting to spiral. Like I need to come back to that more present mindedness. But definitely like every morning is huge. I just do tons of inspiration, sit and reflections, journaling, like that's necessary for me to be able to get into the mindset to do the day. Like I need to be in alignment before I start working. Otherwise I'm just like a hot mess. 
um, where I'm just like going after things that probably don't even make sense for me to be doing. Same. I've started trying to set intentions before doing different Mm -hmm. activities as well. And I think meditation is just one of the easiest, most obvious ways to do that for your day. When I'm on, I do like 15 minutes. It's (laughs) crazy, but it really does set the tone for the entire day. And when I'm off or when I'm being very chaotic with my life and I'm just diving into work as soon as I wake up or just dicking around for hours (laughs) in the morning. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm sure I'm just like, I have a bad habit of starting like five different things and then abandoning them. So like (laughs) I'll look down, I'll look down and the dishwasher's open because I'm half done unloading it. My coffee is now cold. Like I'm halfway through an Instagram feed scroll and I'm like, wait, what is even happening right now? So I think whether it's meditation or it's going for a walk, I know some entrepreneurs, like they leave their house to go for a walk or go get coffee. And then when they come home, it's like officially work time. Whatever it is, it's like setting that tone and starting it off with clarity. However you get that clarity is so important. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to restart using Pomodoro method. I love the Pomodoro method. Tell tell everybody what it is. Yeah. So Pomodoro method, I've used it. It's one of those things too. Like you're like, Oh, I got it. I don't need this anymore. So then you stop and you realize like, "Mm, you probably need that because your brain is all over the place. But essentially it's like in the beginning, you decide what, you know, your intention is for the day. What are your high priorities? What do you want to focus on? You're supposed to do it where you kind of estimate about how long it's going to take you. So each Pomodoro is basically like a little tomato timer that you have in your kitchen. So it's like 25 minutes where you're on and you're focused on one task and in the most strict way. So say, um, you know, I'm working on the podcast show notes. So like during those 25 minutes, that's the only thing you're doing. You're not allowed to check your phone or do anything else. Once that timer's up, then you have a five minute break. And that's when you can allow your mind to wander. Um, so check your phone or or check your phone or (laughs) make your coffee or whatever it is. Um, so you go like on and off. And so the Pomodoros, you're supposed to be able to estimate how many Pomodoros it's going to take you to do a task mm-hmm. over time. You're supposed to get better at estimating so that you don't also, you know, shoot yourself in the foot with all these things on your to-do list. You have like a very realistic to-do list where you're like, yes, this will take me 12 Pomodoros to get through all of this. And then I will feel complete and then you can enjoy the rest of your day. It's such a stupid and basic, <laughs> masterful practice. I yeah. use tomatotimer.com and it's literally just a timer for 25 minutes and yeah. then it goes off. You have five minutes, you restart the game. And, yeah. and in the beginning, I was like, well, 25 minutes doesn't feel long enough to get anything done. Yeah. But in reality, that 25 minutes flies by. Yeah. Um, but you get so much done because you're focusing on one singular task. Yeah. And like, I find myself wanting to skip the five minutes because I'm actually enjoying <laughs> the task that I'm doing for once yeah. because I'm all in as yeah. opposed to being like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, 15 tabs open. Mm-hmm. I've got my phone open with an Instagram caption half written. Oh I've gosh. got an email half replied to. That's not sustainable. And yeah. honestly, the majority of that shit that sucks up your time during the day isn't even something you would have put on a to-do list to begin with, <laughs> right? It's like nonsense, garbage, time waster stuff. Yeah. You convince yourself is important to get done. But when you're an entrepreneur, those moments, those 25-minute Pomodoros, like yeah. jam, add up. And they're so precious. And I find too, like the last little bit on this, that (laughs) knowing that I'm going to get a five minute break, I have Mm -hmm. no problem ignoring my phone. Yes. Because you're like, not much can happen in 25 minutes, right? 
And, you know, so I'm not constantly checking it. They say if your phone's in the room, your like focus decreases by some crazy amount. So I'll literally plug my phone in, in the bedroom, go back into my office. And then when I get a break, I'll just go check text or anything like that. Yeah. Check it out. I'll put it in the show notes, you guys. (laughs) Or just like pull up your phone and do a timer for 25 minutes. Yeah. Five minute break. I promise it will change your existence. And it's the dumbest thing ever. (laughs) I'm glad we're in agreement. That's dumb, Um, but it works. It's so basic, but it is so effective. And if that's not a good lesson for life, I don't know what is. Yeah. 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 Keep it simple, y'all. Yeah. Well, and even to tie that into your business and my business, like when you hone in on something and yes, as a multi-passionate, which you Mm. are as well, it is, it feels, it can feel like creative death, right? To hone in on one thing and set aside all the other things you're interested in and that you are good at and you can teach people. But when you hone in on something, this is probably the best lesson I've learned this year. It's shocking what can happen. It's Mm. the same with focusing your time for 25 minutes. I have found that since putting a lot of my effort, most of my effort into my collaboration work, I'm like speeding through things that I used to, you know, it used to take me months to do, like getting opportunities, getting new clients, like thinking of new ideas. And so for you, once you honed in on salary negotiation, how quickly did you start to firm things up and start to draw in clients and start to really refine what you were offering? Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it, like you said, it's once you have that funnel, it's just easy. Like there's only one direction. Yeah. And like, if there's opportunities that don't go in alignment with that, it's just like, Oh, like I'm really honored, but I don't think that this is in alignment. Here's somebody else that you think yeah. that would be amazing. So your calendar starts to clear up, like your priorities in terms of who you're going to work with and like how you'll work together starts becoming a lot clearer. It's not just like failure. Like, what could we do? I don't know. We can do so many things. It's like, no, I help with salary negotiation. I help women to become more financially empowered. So if it doesn't go through that lens, it, it doesn't work. And then people just, I mean, you're, we already know this intuitively, even though we're like, I don't like it. And I don't want to be just stuck in one thing. But as soon as you start saying, the only thing I really do is a salary negotiation work then people are like, oh, you become the salary negotiation expert. Yes, you don't go in the miscellaneous bin in people's brains. Yeah. Oh, she is this. I can, I can, you know, anytime somebody talks about needing to get a new job, you're the first person that comes to mind as somebody they should maybe talk to. Exactly. And just being a simple, like, I don't know if you've ever, I forgot what book it's in, but they talk about like the jams of the samples where like when you have like, you know, you go to a farmer's market and they have like 20 different jams you can try. And they say that the stands that only have one flavor actually do better, get more sales than the ones that have 20. Because when you have 20, you kind of get overwhelmed. Yeah. Ah, I'll come back. I'll try it. I'm not sure. But if you just have one and you try it and it's delicious, you're like, love it. like it or not. I take it. I'm going to take it home. And yeah, then so you it just become like the easy. strawberry jam lady. I know. And with this, I mean, it definitely does come back into the quote unquote expert thing, which, which was so hard for me to wrap my head around. Like this whole year, I was just like, oh, but I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. But then I just had to keep coming back to the fact that like, I definitely know way more than most people and I'm getting results. Like I'm getting people 20,000, 30,000, et cetera, in, in increases, whether it's in a raise or a news offer, which is bumping them up. And, um, that was a really tricky thing for me to own, but now it's just, it, it, once it clicked, it clicked. It was like, yeah, I know this. I can teach it to you. Um, and you're not promising the world. Like I know I'm going to get people more and there's always more to learn and it never stops. Like I'm continuing to always learn more about it. But, 
um, that has been a funny thing for me to take ownership over. Um, and it has been hard for me to fit myself into that box. So I've expanded it to say to myself mentally, it's not just salary negotiation, it's financial empowerment Mm. that allows me to feel really good about the work that I do. But the lens through which I do it is negotiation. Well, and I, I hate the word expert, honestly, because it implies that like, you've learned everything, you know, you have, you know, the top level, you've gotten all the badges, all the belts, all the achievements. (laughs) So that's why I I fall into the word expertise a lot more because it's what you know most about. It doesn't mean you know more than everybody, but it means, you know, a lot more than a lot of people. Mm, And it means that like, you're going to leave people knowing way more than they did when, before they started working. Absolutely. Those little three letters. The East, East. that East is important. (laughs) I'm with you. I mean, that's, you know, my new program that's coming out soon. If it's not already out by the time this airs, expertise for exposure. There's a reason why it is not a become an expert. Like Mm -hmm. it's not about that. It's about what are you already, what already do you have expertise in that you can showcase and share in exchange for promotion in your community, which tees me up perfectly for the rest (laughs) of this episode. So Obviously, you've been working with a lot of different types of women. Mm. I mean, have you added up how much money you've ended up getting people like total more than they would have? I haven't done it in the past few months. You should totally have a run tally. It's definitely over a million. I I mean, that's incredible. So what are some of the things you've learned, you know, whether it's similarities between all of your clients, things that consistently always work to help you in a negotiation? What are some like key takeaways from the last year or so? The first thing that like, so when I first started doing this work, it was like all about what are the phrases that you need to know and say, because you're going to get the pushback. So what do you say when you get that inevitable pushback? What I realized though, in working with a lot of my women is that they were like, you know what though? Like, I don't care. At the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal, whether I get this or not. And so I kind of had to pull it back and be like, the first thing we actually need to talk about is your money mindset. Do you want to earn more? Do you feel like you are worthy of earning more? Do you feel like it's going to be gross to earn more or do you embrace and are happy to earn more? So we have to shift that mindset. So that was something that was really interesting for me to dig into because for sure for me, like I had to even change my money mindset to be able to teach this because I used to think I don't need money to be happy. Money's not the end all be all. However, how can I think those things, but then encourage someone like you to be like, Bailey, increase your prices right? Like I can't fully own that unless I change my money mindset. And so I feel seen right now (laughs) and I'm so afraid to. (laughs) So yeah, like that was the first thing. And so, um, I think that that work is really fun to dig into of like, um, you know, even for yourself, if you're thinking, you know, yeah, I have a hard time increasing my rate, say if you're an entrepreneur or if you're still working, you know, like I, you know, really, should I ask for $5,000 more? It's not that big of a deal. Start thinking about, your childhood. Start thinking about the times that you asked up for more. So I remember one time I wanted a Tommy Hilfiger shirt because that was like the shit in the 90s. Uh, yeah, late 90s all the yeah, way. Yeah, right? Like I had a forest Tommy. green one that I'm pretty sure I wore oh every Friday night God. at the mall. Like that was hip. Like that was a, it was probably like a $40 shirt, right? For just a, a logo. And my parents were like, hell no. Like you can't, like, what? Are you kidding me? Like we're going to Target. Shut up. Um, but that was like a memory of me asking for more and then being like quickly shut down. Right. And it wasn't my parents trying to be mean. It was just like, no, we can't afford that. Like we're going to Target. Um, so think about memories about when you asked up for more and like the, what you got in response and how you've now just kind of like, unconsciously process that of like, I don't ask for more because I can never get more. 
right? Um, or, you know, for me, I had so many memories of arguments in my family about money. So I'm like money equals unhappiness because I just associate it with people bickering about it. So what are the memories that you have around money or about asking up for more? And in some way, are those shaping how you feel? Like, are they still those same like 10 year old cat memories that are coming up? Um, when you're doing it. So that was the first thing. And then the other like pattern that I see a lot is that we know that we need to do it, but they, we have so much fear about the backlash that we're going to get. People are going to think we're greedy. People are not going to like us anymore. People aren't going to want to work with us. People are going to take back the job. Or if you're a freelancer or your own business owner, they're never going to want to work with you again. Right. And so the mindset shift that we really have to do about this is that, well, one, we're amazing negotiators as women when it comes to our family and friends right? Like, where do you want to go eat? Uh, like Bailey, let's meet up for lunch. What do you want to go do? You're like, I want tacos. I'm like, mm, I don't really want tacos. I had them the other night. Like, how about pizza? And you're like, uh, pizza's not so good. Like I'm, I'm really trying to do like more greens. Oh, let's go get that salad place. It's new, right? Like that was easy. Right. And there was no like, Oh, Bailey's going to hate me and cat's going to hate me or I'm asking too much or I'm being greedy. It's just like, this is what I want. This is what you want. How can we work together? Mm. So it's just realizing that we're amazing negotiators when it comes to everything outside of our job and money. I mean, that's my entire business and collaboration consulting, <laughs> finding the middle piece yeah. on the Venn diagram, my little hey. Venn diagram tattoo. Yeah. it's oh. You're right. I've never even thought about finding the overlap in your needs and your wants as a negotiation, but 100% yeah. it is. Yeah. You know, going into the negotiation about how much you should get, like research, of course, is the most important thing that many of us just don't want to do. Because What's awkward. your favorite source for research, researching how much you should make? I mean, I always, I mean, just start with the low hanging fruit, which is the online resources, right? So if you're in the working world, the glass doors, the pay scales, the paces, the, there's so many out there, start with those. But then with that information, it's important to go to your network. So mm -hmm. that's the uncomfortable part that we don't like asking people about money. But if you frame it up in the way where it's not like, Hey Bailey, how much do you make? You say, Hey Bailey, I done some research. It's showing me that, you know, for this job, I should be making somewhere around 50 to $60,000. Would you say that's correct? Mm. And you can say, yeah, that's about correct. Or like way, that's way too low. Mm. Like at easily 60, I would go up to 75. And then I can begin the conversation of, okay, what's going to set me apart? Like what's going to put me on that closer closer to the end, uh, higher end of that range versus the lower end, right? Like you can easily have that conversation with a friend. If you are coming in with some information and you're not asking them to show their cards, you're saying, these are the cards I'm seeing. Is that correct? Right. Um, so that's how I always recommend doing it. You know, and it's interesting. I'm in a lot of entrepreneur focused female forward groups. And there was one where we went around the circle a few months ago and said, you know, one of the things we, we were supposed to mention was what's, what's an amount that you recently made for doing what? Yeah. And the intention there was, you know, give everybody a baseline yeah. for what they're making for what kind of service, right? Yeah. Or how many hours or what kind of project. And I could see people in the room visibly uncomfortable. They're like, oh, like, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, please, please don't get to me. Oh, God, Change I'm going to Right. And it's, it's obvious that we all have so many issues around being honest about what we're making. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the first steps really is being more open with each other so that, mm. I mean, I love when my friends come to me and they're like, so they offered me this much. And I'm like, what? Absolutely not. You should be making at least this. And they're like, really? Yeah. I've never made that much. I'm like, then you've been getting screwed for far too long. <laughs> I can catch up.
you know, and get to what you're, you're worth. And on the flip side with me, I work for myself now. So I'm kind of out of the game with what salaries should be for what I used to do. Yeah. And I heard of an open role recently and I was like, Oh, what's the salary range? And I'll see who I know. Yeah. He said 150,000. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Come again. Come, for, come again. For something that I literally did, you know, like five, six years ago for 40K. Yeah. yeah. Like, whoa. Okay. That's a huge disparity. And obviously I'm sure somewhere in the middle is a little yeah. more accurate, but like I would have no idea that that would even be an option for that yeah. type of role. So just having those conversations, that's really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Once you open up and do the research, I mean, like it's kind of scary and intimidating and it just takes kind of a little bit of work. But once you do that, it's so cool. Cause like you said, you could have, maybe you would have learned like, oh, you could easily be making $60,000 instead of 40 or like $80,000. So just look at it as an exciting opportunity to learn how much more you could be making so that you can come from a place of more confidence. Cause if you don't do that research, you're like, um, when, when they ask you what you'd like to make and you're like, uh, 60,000. You're like, I don't know. I just want $20,000 more. Right. But if you have the research and it's like, oh, you could easily be making 80,000. You say 80,000. They're like, why? It's like, because that's what it's market rate. Right. And you can just come from a place of more assured confidence rather than just like pulling a number out of your butt, which I think is what many of us do. They're like, I don't know. I want more. Yeah. Just cause just give it just, to me. Just cause like life's hard. It can feel like such a dance too. When you get asked that question, like, well, you know, <laughs> it's all about who goes first in that <laughs> being like, well, what's the range? Well, what are you looking for? Well, yeah. what's the, so what are your pieces of advice on that? Yeah, well, definitely the higher up or the more leverage that you have, the easier and the better it is probably for you to go first. Mm -hmm. So if you are somebody with like crazy good skills or you just know that you're the top of what you're doing, then you put the nice number out there because it's likely higher than what they want to do, right? And then you can come down from there. Mm -hmm. However, if you're just like entry level, it's often better to hear them say the price first because then you can probably find out like, oh shit, like they have 20,000 more than I was expecting. And then you can go up from there. Um, it is hard though. Once you do get that first number, um, especially if you go way lower, like say the job easily could do 60 and then you say 40,000 is what you want. It's hard for you at any point then to negotiate higher. That's why it's always better for, you know, that first number to come from them, especially if you're coming in from the lower place, but it's tricky to get them to do it because they're obviously going to want you to give the first number. So it's like, what are the scripts that you say? Like, that's one of the most important things I teach is like, how do you navigate those conversations whenever you do get that pushback? Because it's going to, it's going to happen. Like, that's what they're trained to do is to give you the lowest number possible because they're in business. You know, it's like for us, when we're hiring out, we're obviously not going to want to pay the highest that we can. Like we have a range of what we know is, is, is fair. And we're going to want to put it closer to the middle or the lower to see if we can get that work done for that lower price. And sure we can go up, but like, we're always going to start lower. So while we feel like it's so bad that these business want to get us at the lowest price, like if we think about it as a small independent, small business owner, like it makes sense. Like you want to keep costs down. It's nothing personal. It's just like, how can we do what's best for the business? Uh, I think what you just said, is not personal. It's almost never about you. Mm -hmm. And that goes for so many things, but we'll just talk about money for the moment. <laughs> like if I just picture like all of the hangups I have around money, yeah. I can only imagine that the person on the other side of the table, or in my case, you know, a potential client, they're dealing with their own pile of nonsense about money. And exactly. so our two piles of money, nonsense thinking together <laughs> be this mush pile of like, Oh God, let's just get this over with. Yeah. Yeah. 
So do you have any advice? Do you ever work directly with entrepreneurial women? Yeah. So I work both with like women business owners. And then also I say ambitious professionals. Mm -hmm. One thing I'd want to slip in there that you said is like, we just want this conversation to get over with is that for any person, especially if you are a freelancer or an entrepreneur, it's like, it's okay to ask for space for like, cause it feels like, Oh my God, this conversation is so hot and heavy. Like we need it to be over. I want it to be over. We're both uncomfortable, but it's like, you know what? Like, you know, I, I, now that I understand a little bit more where you're coming from, like there's some things I want to reprocess. Is it okay if we revisit this tomorrow at this time or like next week at this time? And it's okay to take a breather so that you can both reevaluate, like, where are you at? What's important to you? Where can you budge and where are you unwilling to budge? Um, so it's something I would encourage for everybody, but yeah, with like women business owners, the tricky thing about it is like you said, like, um, there's, there's no real limits to what a person can charge. So you could be charging $25 an hour, $50 an hour, $500 an hour, $5,000 an hour. It's really about how much do you believe in the work that you are doing? How much can you deliver on it? And how, what's the perception of the other person of the value that they're giving? So if you're Billy Hancock and you're, you know, you have the show and you're killing it, it's like, Oh my God, what an honor to work with her. Then even though you are, (laughs) (laughs) maybe somebody else is doing something similar to you, but they're charging one tenth the price. They don't have that leverage because they don't have the cachet and like, you know, to be able to to pull you in on that. Mm -hmm. So that's, what's also interesting about business owners is that I often find that I bring in some of those components of like business marketing and website design into the work I do with them, because it's not only about how can we get you comfortable about the prices that you are pitching to other people, but also how can we show on your website that you are of that level Mm. um, so that the perception also starts to get increased about the value that you bring. Because if you have a Bootsy website and you, you know, all those things, you have no social media following, things like that, it does kind of hurt you in a way. Um, Not to say that you can't get those higher prices, but it just becomes a little bit more supportive that you have these things that are there to show. So yeah, when I work with business owners, it's like, how do we talk about yourself? How do we do the sales conversation? How do we navigate the pushback? And then what are the different things that we can put around you to kind of support your brand at that elevated level? Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, one of my big reasons for launching the new expertise for exposure program too, is like helping women fully own what it is that they're great at so that they have more confidence to ask for more. They have more confidence to get on stage and (laughs) what it is that they do or be on a podcast or be on a panel and feel like they're not a total fraud with imposter syndrome because that confidence shows through and then people Mm -hmm. assume, oh, well, if she's on a panel, podcast, guest blog posting or you know, whatever the format is, she must know what she's doing. She must be worth what she's charging. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) So good. Okay. So delicious. So obviously we all have to work with you now. Yeah. How do we do that? (laughs) Um, If you go to KathleenHart.com, that's like the home base. And actually you've been an inspiration for me. Um, I put out into uh, Instagram a while ago. So I was talking with my mentor about like the direction of the podcast once I come back. And like I said, like for the big leap show, um, it was just a little bit too close-minded in terms of like women wanting to quit and do. So I'm expanding it to be the Kathleen Hart show, similar yeah, to the Hancock show. show. Um, and so, you know, you can still find that at KathleenHart.com. That'll take you to the podcast. Um, and BeBraveGetPaid.com is where you can go if you want to do the course that I have, which is for the ambitious professional who knows that she's underpaid and wants to get paid more. Um, and then in terms of one-on-one coaching, you can reach out to me through my website, which is again at KathleenHart.com which we will link to everything. Basically my mission is I want to help you get more money. 
Like, I want to help you get more money so that you can create that life you want to live. You can become that happier person, give back to the world in the way that you know you are meant to give back to. I love it. Yeah. Same page, girls, same page. <laughs> and so the best way for, say, an entrepreneur to work with you would be the one-on-one. Right? Yeah, through the one-on-one. Because, yeah, at this point, like, there's no course that can teach you all those things. You are an individual of, like, what is your money mindset? What are the hangups that you have? What's your business? How can we position you in a better and more strong way? Yeah, that's a good point. So there's some customization there. There's a little bit of customization. I yeah. love it. Well, yeah. I can't wait to see what we collaborate on next. <laughs> Me this too. Is phase one the low hanging fruit collaboration. So, <laughs> well, I'm so grateful for you, for all of your knowledge and your amazing spirit. And you really are making people happier. So little Kaplan should be proud. Oh, she's so proud. Good job, little Kaplan. I'm a teacher. Yeah, I'm a you're teacher. a teacher yeah. and you're making people happy. You're just not doing it through urban planning, which that's fine. <laughs> you're doing it through something arguably even more important because money is honestly what drives so much of our society and our world. Yeah. And we need more women that have yeah. more money because ladies, we ladies, what we want. Exactly. Girl, freedom and oh, power. Geez. It's just right there. Which speaking of, if you do want, if anyone's listening to this, and especially if you are in the more ambitious professional group, they can text 44222, the word earn more as one word. So earn more as one word, 44222. That'll give you like the top scripts that I do of navigating some of those conversations. Love it. We'll link to that in the show notes too. Cool. So definitely go check those out. We've mentioned a lot of really good resources and you do not want to miss them. So thank you, Kathleen, so much for being on the show. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. This is so much. I feel like I can talk with you I for know, another this hour. This could be like a five-part situation. <laughs> we'll save that for future episodes. Oh, and also go listen to your podcast episode with me. Where you oh, share yeah. Your journey. yeah. Well, we'll see depending on when that airs. If yeah. it's already out, we'll put that in the show notes too. Yeah. Because okay, fuck it. Cool. Yeah, all the show. This is going to be like the longest show notes ever. Uh, I'm not even mad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.